You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. We're going to shift gears, so thank you again. Uh, but we're going to shift gears and look at God's Word, and we're going to uh, look at uh, this new series that uh, we're going to be doing. We're actually beginning a new series um, on the life of Abraham. And some of you may be here this morning, we're like, wow, that sounds great. Who's Abraham? <laughs> and why should I care about this guy? Yeah, you know Abraham. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Abraham, it's always good to begin with the why. Why are we spending eight weeks on a figure that's found primarily in the middle parts of the very first book in the Bible, in the book of Genesis? Now, we're going to look at the story of Abraham's life because it really matters. Um, it matters that the living God of the universe chose Abraham and his wife Sarah to carry out his purposes in history. 4,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, of Nazareth, the, the living God reached down and spoke to a specific man and a specific woman in a faraway place called Ur of the Chaldeans. And that reach and that what he says to them uh, set into motion a journey. And this journey has implications not only for Abraham and Sarah, but it has implications for how we read the rest of Scripture and it has implications for our lives here today in Coquitlam in 2023. Now, the other reason why we're doing this, a couple other reasons, is, is that if, if you read the New Testament, you'll know you'll know that it makes a claim that to be in Christ, to belong to Jesus, is to be, what? An offspring of Abraham and Sarah. That you and I become heirs to the promises made to them. And we see this um, in, 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 um, in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 7, we come across these words. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are, who are children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then even at the end of this chapter, we read these words, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And so if I'm going to understand what I got myself in as a Christian, I need to understand who this Abraham and Sarah are. The other thing, uh, the other reason why we're looking at this is that the New Testament makes this claim that, that you and I are justified. And that's a fancy word for saying you and I are made right with God by God's amazing grace towards us. But we receive this grace by faith. So we are saved by grace through faith. But here's the question. What does this faith look like? What does the Bible talk about when it says you're saved by faith? What is this faith? Well, over and over again, it says, hey, if you want to know what this faith looks like, check out the story of Abraham and Sarah, because they will show you what faith looks like. 
And we'll discover that faith is not just believing in something up here, but faith is what a guy named Martin Luther once said, is, is throwing yourselves on God, trusting in him. The other reason why we're doing this is, is that if you look at the life of faith of Abraham and Sarah, it is a life uh, that doesn't trend up to the right. Let's just put it that way. The life of faith for Abraham and Sarah is God. It's up and then it's downs, and then it's ups, and then it's downs. And you know what? I like that because it reminds me that even a guy, a hero like Abraham, made really dumb decisions. I find that comforting. And it's also a reminder there are no heroes in the Bible except for one, and that's Jesus. Um, everyone else falls short. And Abraham and Sarah, well, man, they, uh, they make all sorts of mistakes along the way. And I'm like, oh, I, I find that quite comforting because I make a lot of mistakes in my life of faith. I think the most important reason is this, is that the story of Abraham places our story into a much larger context. Uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah, I mean, it's not some accident that takes place in history, but is, God, is part of God's unfolding plan for history. And God is a God who acts in the raw material of history, right? God enters into the mess of this world. And he has to do with people like you and me. And I love that because that means God can enter into the mess of my life and make something beautiful out of something that's really raw and messy, right? And I think we need to get this. And I've said this before, but it's a reminder that, that God's love is so infinite that he can love us finitely. You know that, right? You know that God just does not love humanity. But he loves you by name and all the details of your life. Do you know that? I get encouraged when, I, when I'm reminded of that. It means I'm being invited into something much bigger than myself. So let's look at this Abraham. And so if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis. And we're going to begin, it might be in a strange place, but we're going to begin in chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, grab one from the pew rack in front of you. It's an easy book to find. It's the first book, first book in the Bible, Genesis. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as we look at this together. Genesis chapter 11, we'll begin in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower and the, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do now will, will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. All right, jump down to verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram. Now, you have to get this. Abram and Sarai, 
who we're referring to as Abraham and Sarah. Their names change for a specific reason later on. So when you come across Abram and Sarai, it's Abraham and Sarah. Um, Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, was and, and Ishka. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, first, uh, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, this is your word, this is your revelation, this is your activity in the raw material of history. And so we pray that you would speak your truth into our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, soften hard hearts so we may receive what you want to say to us through your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so... The Genesis text tells us that Abraham and Sarah came from a place called, what's it called? Ur. Yeah, Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, what do we know about this place, Ur of the Chaldeans? We actually know a fair amount. Um, it, was, it was located, um, there's some debate about this, but um, it's located just to the northwest of uh, the Persian Gulf uh, in, in what is today southern Iraq. Uh, records show, along with archaeology, that it was a significant city in its day. Um, over a thousand years before the, uh, the founding of Rome, Ur was a significant place. It was, uh, it was um, influenced by a group uh, called the Sumerians. And the Sumerians are known for the, to be inventors of writing, law, and mathematics. So if you don't like math, blame the Sumerians. The archaeologists also tell us that Ur, like it was not some cow town. It, was, it probably had a population of around 100,000, which is significant. It had an extensive library, a postal system, a busy port. It had factories. Um, it had um, um, most of the people who lived in, 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 in the city of Ur lived in apparently like in these two-story buildings. With, which even had an early form of air conditioning, apparently. There you go. On the market front, uh, it was a bustling place. It was bustling with jewelers, leather workers, potters, imports from all around the world. In fact, there's, there's, uh, there's an archaeological evidence for ivory from India that was found in Earth. So it had trade um, as far away as places like India. And, and as for our couple, Abraham and Sarah, we have some good idea that they... They, have, they were people of means. And we know this from chapter 13 because they have a fair amount of livestock. Uh, they seem to, have, uh, seem to be fairly wealthy people. And so Abraham and Sarah, in the land of Ur, were educated, wealthy, cultured, business-savvy urbanites. They were, they were somebodies. 
But let's pause for a moment. Without Genesis chapter 12, you and I would never have heard of Abraham and Sarah. Would we? Didn't matter how significant they were in the city of Ur. Without Genesis 12, Abraham and Sarah would, would, would fade into, into history. We wouldn't even know who they were. So where does their significance lie? In the fact that God called them, right? That's where their significance lies, is in the fact that God called them. It's not in the stuff they owned. It's, it's in the relationship to the God who called them. Now, I'll tell you, this is such a warning for our lives. I often hear people talk about, um, I don't know if you've heard this, and it's usually in some leadership conferences, stuff like, say, you know, when are you born? You know, on your gravestone, it's going to have the year you're born and the year you died. And what's in between? A dash. What is your dash? What is your, what, what, how is your life going to be significant? And here's the thing, the dash doesn't mean anything. Because you could be really famous. You could have a statue built in your honor. You could have a, a, a day of the year as a holiday named in your honor. But here's the thing, after 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, nobody's going to remember. The statue's going to be dust. And your name's going to mean nothing. I said this on a Tuesday night class. I think I did this once. I said, tell me. I said, I want to hear from you. Tell me, what was your great-great-grandfather like? What was his personality like? People are like, I don't know. Well, exactly. When we try to make our lives significant on, on its own, we're just going to fade in, 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 into nothingness. A good dose of Ecclesiastes 1 is, is really helpful. But where is our significance found? Because we are significant. I don't walk away saying, oh, my life is meaningless, according to Pastor David. Um, no. Our meaning is found in our relationship with God. Right? That's where our significance is found. In this case, the living God of the universe chose this couple to begin a, a stream in history, which will affect all of human history, including our own lives here today. So, okay, so this is Ur of the Chaldeans. And the second question is this. What, what is God going to do? Well, God reveals himself, and he calls Abraham, and, and he makes a promise to him. He says, I will make your name great. Now, it's easy to gloss over this. Oh, okay, you make my name great. But it's, it's loaded with meaning. That's why I begin with uh, Genesis chapter 11. Because in Genesis chapter 11... Man, there's so much to unpack in this, in this passage. But just a couple themes I want to pay attention to. It's the story of the Tower of Babel. And part of God's design for creation, we have to get this. This is part of a macro story. Part of God's design for creation, human beings in particular, is God created humanity to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. That's his creational design. Why? So he wants all humanity to spread throughout the earth so that we can represent God, tell all four corners of the earth how good this God is, how loving he is, and to be his representative wherever we go. So that was God's creational design. 
It was to live our lives in loving dependence on the one who creates us and loves us. But by the time we get to chapter 11, and this shows up before chapter 11 and carries on right through the Bible and all throughout human, human history, what we find is humanity saying, you know what? I don't need you, God. I can live my life independently of you. I, I just don't need you. And so in this passage, in chapter 11, we find humanity trying to make it on their own. They build this great tower. Why do they build this tower? Well, in verse 4, it tells us, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into, in the heavens. And... Let us make a name for ourselves. Now, what does this tower look like? It probably looks something along this line. I think we have a picture. It's called a, a ziggurat. And um, you find these in the, in, the, in the ancient world. And the idea behind its, its, its design is that it's a picture of, of, of people. They can ascend to the heavens, and the heavens can, can descend to them. And so it's this picture where people could climb up into the heavens. And so what's happening here in the, in the Tower of Babel? Well, it's a picture of human beings on their own effort through their own means, reaching up, trying to lay hold of heaven. And, and it's a picture of humanity trying to go it alone. Now, the word that's often used to describe this is hubris, is pride. It's saying, you know what, God, we will, call th- we, we, we will call our own shots. And we, through our own effort, will make our way to you. Thank you very much. We will build our own foundations to ascend to heights that the gods ascend to. And so it's a desire to live our lives independently of God. It's about making our own world apart from God. And so in this passage, we come across the word ourselves, ourselves, ourselves. And so we try to build up towers built on crappy bricks, which won't hold together. And so it's a picture of the human quest for self-security, which is bound to fail. It'll always fall. And when we try to make a name for ourselves, when we try to build our lives on ourselves, everything we make, everything we do, the towers that we raise will eventually come crumbling down and will destroy us. There's no stability, no communal order. It's just the fracturing of community. Now, here's the thing. God knows this. So it's not like God saying, hey, they're building a tower. This is a rival to me. I ought to. No, God's saying, I know. I know where this is going to lead. It's just going to collapse. And humanity is just going to be, it's just going to be a mess. And God knows this. And so that's why he, he intervenes. When we try to live our lives independently from the author of life, it only leads to death. And so towards the end of chapter 11, things are looking bleak. We find humanity trying to make a name for themselves and failing. But then we come across these remarkable words in chapter 12. God picks a man, he picks a woman, and he says something important. He says, I will bless you. Then what does he say? I will make your name great. You catch that? I will make your name great. He will make our name great. 
And so you and I, we, we come to this fundamental question that we need to face. And here's the question. Are you going to try to make a name for yourself or are you going to allow God to make your name great? Now, much of my life before I was a Christian was spent trying to make my, my name great. I worked for a company. I was high up in the company. I pushed myself higher up into the company. And the thing is, I did make my name great. I had, uh, you know, I, I was responsible for millions, millions of yuan, and, and, and I was living in China. And, and uh, I had, uh, my name was great, but here's the thing. My name only became great, not by, by, by ascending, but it was more by crushing other people who got in my way. Anyone who tried to get in my way and making my name great got into trouble. And that's the thing. When we try to make our name great, it's not like we ascend. It's just we push everybody down. But the reality is, is on our own, you and I, we, we really do make lousy gods. I hope you, you know that. We try to be a god for a while. It doesn't work out. God says to Abraham, I will make your name great. Now, it's strange. God says this to a man who's old. His wife is old. And she's barren. And God enters into this couple's life and he says, I will make your name great. And five times God says to, to them, he says, I'll bless you. I will 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 bless you. Though you are childless, though you are no longer young, through your child, through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And some of you may be new to the Bible or some of you may find reading the Bible difficult. I'll tell you, if you want to know a thread that keeps the Bible all together and helps you understand the Bible, is this promise being played out. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the storyline that runs all throughout the Bible. And it's a promise that keeps going. And then we get to the, and, 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 and it looks like the promise isn't going to work out. Because Israel, rather than living out this promise, they, they, they saw it as a badge for themselves. And they took on a lot of the practices of the surrounding nations. But then we get to the opening lines of the New Testament. And what do we come across? These words, the very opening words of the New Testament. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Jesus is the seed of Abraham. He is a promise fulfilled. He is the one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. And you know what? We see this in our church today. From all different backgrounds gathered together. He is the one who's come to repair a broken world and to redeem broken lives. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So what's God going to do with Abraham and Sarah? Well, he calls them. He calls him, and he calls him to do two things. What are the two things he calls him to do? He calls him to leave and to trust. To leave and to trust. Now, Abraham needs to respond to this call. So do we. God says, leave. Go. And I hear an echo of Jesus' teaching when Jesus says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you need to leave everything behind and come and follow me, Right? God calls Abraham to leave. Now, why? You ever think about that? Like, why? 
Why does he need to leave his home? And will he leave it? So the big question you need to ask yourself is this. Is Abraham going to love her or leave her? Is Abraham going to love her or leave her? Oh, come on. I worked on that all week long. <laughs> okay, that is such a pity clap. It's just like, all right, get going. Yeah, thank you. I don't know. It had me chuckling, but um, you may want to re retract that video. Uh, <laughs> love her or leave her. Okay, yeah, Try it with your kids later on. It'll be good. But, I mean, honestly, like, why does Abraham have to, have, to, have to go? Why couldn't he live out this calling in this nice city? I mean, there's lots of people around. He could have pointed them to who God is. The reality is, is that Ur, um, the city, not only was it a flourishing city, but it was also a high, very polytheistic city. There are at least 300 gods that were worshipped in different temples in this city. The downtown skyline was dominated by temples. You have magic, superstition, temple prostitution. This is all part of day-to-day -day life in downtown Ur. And so, with this all around him, with this in his face, how can Abraham get this picture of a new reality? How can this new vision that God has for Abraham, how could he see this vision when all that's in his face is the polytheism of the city and the opulence of the city. Well, Abraham had to be set free from the pull, the drag of, familiar, of a familiar culture in order to lay hold of this new vision that God was giving him. And so he had to leave this city. But here's the question for us. For us to get the vision that God has for our lives, how do we leave the modern world? Where do we go? The modern world's everywhere. And so this is a challenge. How do we leave the things of, of this world that drag us down? And, and, and these are things that, as, as if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to think very carefully about because it's not just a skyline. It's a skyline on our, on our devices and our tablets and, and that, that are constantly in front of us. So how, how, do, how, do we, how do we break free from this to at least pay attention to the vision that God may have for our lives? It is not easy. It is not easy. I mean, how many of you, don't put up your hand, but how many of you have at least checked your phone once since the sermon began? You don't have to put up your hand. But these things are hard. And I think this is, you know, one of the things we often mock in love, our, our, our dear leader, Pastor Sam, uh, on staff, because we often mock him because he's always talking about healthy rhythms. It's like, yes, we know healthy rhythm, healthy rhythms. But it's true. We need to have healthy rhythms in order to push back against many of the things of this world that what the, what the things of this world teach us a couple of things. They teach us that God does, does not exist. Or if he does exist, he doesn't matter. You can get along just fine without God. That's what our modern world teaches us. 
And so we need to constantly be reminded of the vision that God has for our lives. And a lot of that is through healthy rhythms in community. And so that's one of the reasons why we say this over and over again. So let me ask you the awkward question. What are some of the things that you need to leave? What do you need to leave in order to lay hold of God's promises for your life? You need to let that sit with you today. But you not only does Abraham need to leave, he needs to trust. And if leaving was difficult for Abraham, trusting was going to be even harder, which is the same with us. I mean, it's one thing to leave. It's another thing to walk with Jesus day by day in this long obedience in the same direction. So the life of faith, what is the life of faith that, that God is calling us into? Well, it's a life where we're called to trust, where we trust the one who called us. And I take great comfort in the fact that a man as great as Abraham, though great, he's also very human. And his faith journey, is, it, it struggles. And I, I find comfort in that. The other thing about a life of faith is that it means that not everything's going to work out perfectly. But faith calls us to exchange the known for the unknown. Because do you notice, where does God call Abraham? Where does he call him? To a land that I will show you. And if I'm Abraham, I'm like, yeah, I need a little more information, God. You want me to leave my job? There better be another job. Tell me where I'm going and how this job's going to be so much better. God says, no, I want you to leave and go to the land that I will show you. We're like, yeah, I'm only ready to let go if I'm holding on to something over here. Thank you very much, God. To let go. Man, that's hard. I find it very hard. But if you want to know the story, I mean, for Abraham, I mean, he, he leaves everything behind. And in his lifetime, he never lived to see himself as a great nation. In fact, this trips him up on a number of occasions through his life. And he says, God, we're too old to have kids. But God, I have a great plan. I think this will work out. Step aside, God, I got this, which is something we do all the time. But one of the things we learn in the story of Abraham, and we're going to see this over the weeks ahead, Abraham experienced joy in the journey. He grew to know, he grew to love, and he grew to walk with God. And our call as followers of Jesus Christ is, is we are called to grow in the knowledge of the goodness of God, grow in our love for him and his love for us, and then to, and to trust him. Now, I've said this before, but if you want to know, if you want to drill down to two of the biggest challenges we have in the, in, in the Christian life, if you want to know the two biggest issues of the Christian life, do you know what they are? First issue is this. Can I trust you, God? Can I really trust you? But there's a second question that's related to it. You know what that is? Are you as good as you say you are? 
If you boil down all your questions of, of, of faith, it'll always come down to the two challenges. Is, can I really trust you? Can I, can I really trust you to let go? And the only way I can trust you to, if, to, to let go is if I really trust that you love me. Oh, man, those are, those are the questions, aren't they? Now, Abraham, in his life, as he walks with God, he grows to know how much God loves him and that he can be trusted. And, but we have an advantage. We have an advantage because we can journey through life because of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ, who through his life, death, and resurrection has invited us into a journey, into the unknown. Jesus says, come follow me. He doesn't say where. He says, just come follow me. But he also tells us, hey, this journey that you're on, you're not alone. I will place my empowering presence in you, the Holy Spirit, who will guide you, who will comfort you, who will remind you of my love during difficult times. But the Christian life is a life of leaving and trusting. And so what I want you to do is I want you to pray about that. Where, where, where do those words intersect with the details of your life right now? Okay? Well, let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we know that you are loving. Your word tells us this, and, but we struggle. We do struggle. We struggle to, to leave and to trust, to journey into the unknown, to exchange the known for the unknown. This is hard for us. It is, is hard for me. And Lord, but we, we pray that you would grant us the faith that uh, we see on display in Abraham. That we would throw ourselves on you. Apart from you, there's nothing. Lord, one thing we do know, that in this journey of life, that because of Jesus, that you will lead us safely home. And Lord, this morning, some of us are just on the, on, on the precipice or on the, on the beginning of a journey, and we do pray that you would help us to take that first step, that a journey of 10,000 miles begins with that one step. So help us to take that step of faith. We commit our lives to you. We pray these things not in our own strength, but in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.